In today's episode, we'll explore the struggle of finding joy this year. We'll talk about one of the books that inspired the podcast. And we'll look into how the lack of joy could be playing into the increasing polarity we're experiencing in our lives. But our favorite part is the insightful interview we have prepared for you with Benjamin Reese, a talented digital storyteller and entrepreneur. We'll talk to Ben about his experience filming the Black Lives Matter documentary in 2016. We'll also ask him about his recent trip to Louisiana to film the COVID unit nurses there and how he was able to find joy while working on such a difficult project. Welcome to What Brings You Joy with Jules and Rach. Hi Rach, how's your day going? My day's going great, how about you? It's going well, thank you. What brought you joy lately? Going to the sound bath with you last week brought me so much joy. Um, the sound bath was at a park, and it was a really nice day, and I don't know, it was, it was very relaxing. And it was also the first time that we, we've hung out since uh, Trevor Noah's show three <laughs> months ago, so... That's true. <laughs> yes, it was actually really nice to see you and Adam again in person. Uh, we've been doing our remote friendship for so long. <laughs> So it's been very nice to see you guys and just spend some time out in the park, socially distanced. But yeah, the sound bath was an amazing experience. It really was. And uh, there's something about sound healing that makes you feel brand new after. I, I just felt like my worries kind of floated away after that. And for those who are not familiar with the concept of the sound bath, can you talk a little more about it? Yeah, definitely. A sound bath is a relaxation and meditation technique. Um, it uses a number of instruments like chimes, drums, and singing bowls to create this um, healing experience. So you're pretty much bathing in the sound, and it helps you let go of the daily stresses, relax, and be in the moment. That experience was very relaxing, and I'm already looking forward to the next one. Yeah. How about you, Yules? What brought you joy lately? My moment of joy was brought to me by some rocks I collected. I went on this Indiana Jones-type expedition to the Dagway geode beds in western Utah, and I picked up some amazing crystal-lined geodes, which are these rocks that are basically millions of years old. It turns out Utah has some sites like that all around the state, and the activity is referred to as rock hounding. They are on public lands, so people can go there, and you can keep anything you find as long as it's for, um, you know, personal, non-commercial use. And it feels like treasure hunting, because some of the things you find are so beautiful. I can't recommend it enough. And to top it off, we saw some wild horses on the way there, which is just a breathtaking experience. Um, they came really close and crossed the road in front of the car. They were so majestic. Um, and we just stood there for a while observing, you know, feeling honored to be in their presence. That sounds beautiful. It was, yeah. I came back with a bag full of treasures, and I broke my hammer in half, but had an amazing time while at it. That sounds fantastic. I can't wait to see the rocks, the, the, the treasures that you found. Oh, yeah, I'll share some pictures for sure. And um, you're probably getting rocks as gifts for the foreseeable future. <laughs> wow. 
All right. And we'll, uh, we'll post them on our Instagram for sure so that our listeners can see. Yes, let's do that. And we'll link the rock hounding website in the show notes, along with the sound bath information. So we picked a pretty crazy time to start a fun project. We're in the middle of the greatest pandemic in about 100 years. We are experiencing a new wave of the civil rights movement. And we're not doing so well economically. I don't even want to go into our political situation at the moment. Ooh, too soon. Yes, we'll have to come back to that later. Otherwise, this has the potential to turn dark very quickly. Exactly. It's been hard to keep even conversations with friends joyful these days. A lot of the time, things either get really sad or get heated up fast. It's a difficult time for sure. Or let's just say it as it is. 2020 sucks. I feel like most people will end the year with different degrees of PTSD. But I also think it's important to do two things right now. We need to hold those difficult conversations. But we also need to look for joy. And we should do it, even if it seems hard to do. Or somehow out of place, given the circumstances. You're making a great point there, Rach. I have been reading and watching a lot of things by Ingrid Fadal-Lee, and she talks about this as well. Thank you for introducing me to her work, by the way. You're welcome. Her book, Joyful, is one of my favorites. Yeah, so she talks about how negative emotions like fear and anxiety narrow our focus. So when you're fearful about something, you tend to just kind of play it on this constant loop almost in your mind, and it's hard to think about anything else. I think I see where you're going with this. Yeah, there's a good example she gives in one of her videos. So imagine if you hear a noise outside of your window, you will really concentrate on that noise and you might not be able to let it go until you're sure that it does not present any danger. It's, um, <laughs> and then the positive emotions do the opposite. Uh, they um, expand our thinking and they make us more creative. So joy makes our minds more flexible. And by doing that, it prevents us from putting things into rigid categories. That's a really important element to think about, considering how divided our society has become. Exactly. Anyone who tends to put people into narrow categories might really be lacking joy in their lives. I mean, don't get me wrong, they might have other issues too. <laughs> Especially the guy who brought his bow and arrow and tried shooting the protesters in downtown Salt Lake. Oh my god, especially that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I see what you're saying. It's like, joy gives us this panoramic view of the world. We're not narrowly focused and we see things in our peripheral view better. It helps us get rid of the rigid categories that we lived with for so long as a society. Right. So anytime we feel stuck in these outdated definitions, it might help to do something joyful. And that positive feeling we get as a result could actually help us break down these walls within our minds. So next time you feel like hope is sucked out of you by the news, take a break. Don't feel bad about not participating in 2020 100% of the time. Wrap yourself in your favorite blanket. Light up some candles. Watch a good movie. Take a walk and enjoy nature. Whatever it is that brings that elated feeling into your life, do that. Yeah, go for some of that hygge feeling. My new favorite word, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you liked it. I loved it. But what I'm really excited to hear is our today's guest's take on joy. Stick around for a fun interview with Benjamin Reese.
I am very excited to introduce our guest, Benjamin Reese, who is a good friend and one of my favorite people. We're so happy to have you on the show today, Ben. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all for having me. Of course. Ben is a very talented director and producer. When I look at his photos and videos, I tend to see a story, first of all. The production value is great, too. But the part I really like is depth and this ability to tell a good narrative. He comes from New Orleans. He has lived in L.A., and they moved to Salt Lake last year with his wife Justine and his daughter Josie. He has presented projects at some fun platforms like Oxford, TED, and the Noble Peace Forum. So Ben, tell us about what you do. What are you working on currently? Oh, thank you. Uh, wow, that was a great intro. Um, <laughs> I was like, whoa. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, so I work with um, uh, Dear World, which is this uh, storytelling project that goes around the world uses photography and facilitation to bring out, you know, the, the hero's journey or the stories in, in everyday people to celebrities, to survivors. And I think that's what Dear World does really well is bringing out the humanity in people. And, you know, you talk about joy in life. You can't bring out the palpability of joy without suffering, you know, because it, it, yeah. it, it won't, the contrast won't be there, right? Contrast is light. You can't well see said. <laughs> light without shadow, you know? Well said, yes, just like in film, huh? Exactly. So Ben, how did you get started in all this? How did Benjamin Reese end up in his career of a video producer and entrepreneur? Um, yeah, so I spent, I would say, since childhood sort of immersed in technology. And, you know, my, I was homeschooled growing up. My parents were very religious and that kind of set me on a path to find my own way. And I was a full stack developer in New Orleans post-Katrina at the Louisiana Public Health Institute. And I actually, in the, in the evenings, would do creative things like photography, et cetera. And I had a mentor, Chris Schultz, who was a, was a really an amazing figure in my life to kind of believe in me. And he was like, oh, do you do video? And I had never done video before, but I wanted to. And I was like, you know, I knew the <laughs> what to say. And I was like, yes, I do. And so I scrimped together some money to buy like a video um, set up and I actually had to build it myself. And part of the geekery helped me, you know, be at the right place at the right time. And I made um, this video series called um, 50 People in Question with my friend Nathan. And actually, Josie and I created the original one um, that went viral um, in New Orleans on, on the street of New Orleans. We just went out one day and asked 50 people one question. So I was really fortunate to kind of put it together, have the sort of technical skill sets and creative skill sets from playing music as I was growing up to making that video. And, and that kind of set me on a path to more being an entrepreneur, even though, you know, I had a family to take care of. It kind of gave me the courage to take the leap. And from there, I, I kind of moved more to the business side of things over the last few years. My career is more about supporting small startups than it has been about necessarily creative directorial work. Um, although I do get to direct things from time to time. So that's fun. That's really neat. And I like that you're paying it forward and advising other startups on that same process that you went through. Yeah, yeah. And you and your business partner also organize large events, which is one of the industries that was hit really hard by the pandemic. You guys were very quick to modify your business model to adjust to the situation. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Wow. I feel like y'all really know me. 
Um, Yule is our, also a psychic. We did. <laughs> we did our homework. <laughs> you can tell. Yeah, no, events in the events industry really was punched right in the gut with this. Obviously, like in terms of you know all travel was shut down you know months ago, and so we had events with some large Fortune one hundreds that were shut down. You know, back in January because they were worried about that just so far off. And so we saw it coming in that way, but it really started getting real and it started getting real for everybody else and and sort of like early March, right? I think it was. And, you know, and basically with your world, you kind of have a hook with your story that you write on your body. And so at first it was kind of like the settling in of that reality of, okay, large events are going to come back soon. Small events might come back sooner, but writing on each other's skin, you know, their dear world message, eh, that's even harder to project. The thing was, though, is that when Robert and I started working together 10 years ago, you know, I already had a very firm foot in the technology space. And then I not only was a full stack developer, but also I launched a couple of tech companies and even specifically video platform tech companies and raise VC funding. And basically, I was like kind of to be honest, hungry to figure out the digital thing. And I was like, this is the future anyway, and this is our opportunity to do that. And ever since then, it's kind of getting more and more into the bullseye of how can we, how can we execute on this while selling products that we can build at the same time. So we're not, as a small, tiny company, we are you know, not just surviving, but then we also have a path to thrive. Because this thing is not going to be over in terms of the events industry in a year, right? Like this is going to have reverberating effects for the next decade. And in fact, like I was telling Robert the other day, Robert is uh, the founder of Dear World. We were talking and I said, this idea of do we want to be in the center of the bullseye of where the market's going in the next 10 years or do we want to be on the fringes? And really, it, this, it goes back to the idea of that this pandemic ultimately shot the events industry forward, I don't know, 25 years maybe? in terms of where it was going anyway, and that people were going to be becoming more and more remote workers. And the things that, you know, I think do it to your world in terms of connecting people remotely in a meaningful way and, and having interventions that people are going to have remote work fatigue. Sure, they're going to like it at first because there's a lot of perks, but over time they're going to realize, oh, wow, it's lonely sometimes. And I need physical connection. I need community. And they're going to want to do events and they're going to do whatever, but they're also going to want to do digital things and there's going to be hybrid digital events too, right? Where you need to celebrate your team and build trust with your team and, and address mental health issues with your team uh, in a remote environment. And so the idea we do already do that live well. So if we can do that really well and just focus on the digital side for a while being a small team, then we'll have an opportunity to, you know, really build this out maybe even at a bigger scale too, because things are cheaper digital. So anyway, that's the short of it is how we've been, I don't even want to say pivoting because it's been a whole refocus for the company. And with my background being in technology, it, it feels like a natural uh, launch. So it's been exciting, but it is scary times all. And we had lost, we were on a record quarter in terms of revenue when this thing hit and we've lost all revenue. And so it's scary. Oh. It's scary for Robert. It's scary for me. Um, but I'm trying to live my cleanest healthiest life just knowing that this these are war times and like mm-hmm. i need to be a warrior with joy 
with joy. Wow, nice. <laughs> I, lo I love that. <laughs> it's such a great thing that you have been able to uh, maintain this uh, positive, optimistic approach and some forward thinking there too. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you guys have some great ideas on how to adjust because, I mean, some people are talking about the need to return to normal um, and I don't think there is returning to normal. It's going to be better because here's the thing, y'all. When you think about returning to normal, what is that when you're growing as a person, when you're trying <laughs> to increase your health, you've got to go somewhere, right? right? But if you want to return somewhere, you're just going to where you were. Sure, it might have been great, but what about better? So, yeah, I, I do believe that vision is the fire that people build around right? Communities build around and, and, and positivity, you know, vision based on fear isn't vision. It's really, that's really more reaction, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think Utah has a lot of visionaries. So I think we're in a good space. America historically has a lot of visionaries and if we can get the Dumbos out the way and let the visionaries, <laughs> <laughs> we, might be, we might be more okay. Wow. How do I even transition from that? <laughs> So Ben, tell us about your recent trip to New Orleans. What did you do there? And was there anything that made you smile in this otherwise uh, sad situation? I see what you did there. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> there was, there was many situations that made me smile because. For, first, first of all, tell us what you did there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Well, we went to New Orleans uh, in the midst of the quarantine and a few weeks after the height of the pandemic in New Orleans, it's just one of the hot spots. So it was like a war. We were it was like coming into a war zone that had just started settling down, and we were interviewing forty critical care nurses. And so critical care nurses will see you know the most life and death at play, and they were sort of the, the front line, truly the front lines of this COVID crisis down in New Orleans and across America. And so we interviewed forty of them um, with Dear World to you know really document these times and how this is impacting uh, our society. Um, yeah, just with like Dear World, it, we, we did hear a lot of stories about death and, and trauma, but we also heard a lot of stories about resilience. And particularly, I was there leading the video team and we were able to spend time in the people's homes. We wore PPE and, you know, social distance and all that stuff. But it was really cool, small, small crews. It was really cool to spend time with the family and see how really people are being normal. They have to be normal at the same time. as this. So, you know, there was this moment where we were like, what, you know, they were going from being interviewed to like cooking dinner. The husband was cooking dinner for the wife and she was, you know, kind of saying some good things about the food he was cooking, but criticizing other things. It was just, we were all laughing and I, you know, I mean, I started tearing up just, wow, this is an amazing family to like have this type of normalcy through all this. And mm -hmm. yeah, it, it is the resilience of the human spirit is crazy. And yeah, it was just beautiful to see. It seems like you witnessed some really sweet and uplifting moments there. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So Ben, I know joy is a little hard to find in this world we're living in right now. That's the challenge we decided to take on with this podcast. We want to find happiness in the middle of all the darkness. So with that said, what brought you joy lately? Oh, I like that. It's very 50 people in question. Um, where would you wish to wake up tomorrow? What would you wish to happen by the end of the day? Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, what has brought me joy lately? I think 
the first thing that really sparks in my mind, y'all, is this, I've been doing this a lot lately and I did just mountain bike this morning, so it makes sense, but like this analogy of like life, like a really intense mountain bike ride like I did today, um, where you just genuinely feel shook sometimes. Even in the downhill when it's fun, it's like, you. I guess it's my style, you know, and you, you've seen me ski, like I put myself in positions where I kind of scare myself. And I think, mm-hmm. I think in life, that's a good thing sometimes if you do it right. And yeah, doing things that are scary, taking leaps. And yeah, I've just made some like personal choices, like in my therapy and in my daily routine, some like key things that I've changed and key things that I've done that have truly unlocked more. I can feel I'm reading this book, The Untethered Soul, I think it's called. And, you know, they talk about how removing the thorns and, and that painful process is the price of, of freedom. And it's been courageous for me to do those things. And, and that gives yeah. me joy to know that I'm growing. That's really beautiful, Ben. That's, that, was, that was touching. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. Here's my next question for you. I know several years back you uh, filmed a Black Lives Matter documentary. Um, how did it feel for you to be involved in such an important project? Yeah. Yeah, I know since 50 people in question, it was like the work that I was most proud of and probably still am to this day um, because a couple of key elements. My family was involved. So Josie, my daughter, and Justine, who was at the time my girlfriend and now my wife, she was also involved. And when I say involved, like holding microphones, holding cameras, you know, in the front of, you know, like the SWAT lines and like the sound cannons and these like, you know, they're arresting people like right and left in front of us. And this was in New Orleans, right? This was yes. back in New Orleans? So I'll, I'll rewind. So one morning, and this was in 2016, um, I think... I have to remember what the date, exact date. It's on the videos um, when Alton Sterling was was murdered. The video started going viral, and I remember like laying in bed and watching the video, much like you know the recent incident with Mr. Floyd. It was basically a lot of people. The way they were reacting on social media, I knew what they saw because I remember. In fact, I couldn't even bring myself to watch this latest video because of how traumatic of the, not just watching the video was for me, but then going through the whole thing that I went through, you know, it was, it was a a journey. And, and basically as soon as I watched the video, I like kind of stood up out of bed. I turned to Justine and I was like, I was like, we have to do something. We have to go down there and I have to document this. This is, this is history. And this guy was murdered. And yeah. And so I went down there with Josie and Justine. It was the summertime. So I think it was in July. I think it was like July, ninth around that time and Josie was with me and Justine was with me and we got in the car and we went down to Baton Rouge to this triple S store, the capital of Louisiana. We showed up and there were all these people sort of, you'd think it was like a celebration in a way, like people were honking, people were cheerful, you know, people were outside with their signs, but literally there were no white people. It was all black people. Granted, it was probably, it, that neighborhood is more of a black neighborhood, but I was shocked to be like, we're, we're the only people here. And I, funny enough, saw a co- old coworker there who was, um, who was the only other white person to come down. It was like weird. Mm-hmm. And, and the only, I'm serious. The only other white people there 
were the journalists that were covering the news. So that was kind of my first thing. And then I was like, I hope people are cool with us being here. And we had like a little camera we set up on the corner. We started asking people one question. The question we were asking was, what one thing would you say to the other side? Whatever that meant to them. And so we started recording questions and I started posting the videos at night of what we were getting. And one of my artist friends, who's a, a, uh, he's just a phenomenal street artist, but also an activist. He runs a interactive activism museum in New Orleans. Yeah, uh, actually, what's his name? B Mike is his name. Um, Brandon Odoms, but his, he goes by B Mike. Anyway, he, he texted me. He's like, Hey man, I see what you're doing. August texted me and he was wondering if y'all want, do you, do y'all want to film us? In August, Alcina, I had previously done a music video for him and Currency a couple years back. They're staple figures in the black community, period, but they're also massive staple figures in the South and because that's where they, they come from, um, both of them from New Orleans. And he's super talented R&B musician. Anyway, basically after he came, we started just following him around. He just got access to everything. We, we met the family. We interviewed the family. We interviewed the store owner. And then DeRay, who's um, you know a significant African-American activist, Black Lives Matter activist, he flew in and we ended up interviewing him too. And so even like local community historians and activists who are well-educated on the topic of you know, um, slavery by a different name – and the history of slavery in the United States to, you know, currently where it modern, you know, sits in modern day America, whether it be economic slavery or cultural slavery, basically we got to, we got to weave this tapestry of stories that we released on Instagram and Twitter. We're using August's platform to push it out there. I think what was really important though for me was that me, my daughter and my Asian American, you know, girlfriend, but not me here. I'm a white man. Like, we're at the center of this story in a room filled with black people and in the triple S store. And, you know, we're the only white people here holding a camera. And it's like very cognizant of this feeling of like, I'm here to serve, you know, at best, you know, if I'm even loud, but at the end of the day, knowing that this story, it wasn't picked up in mainstream media, it was picked up on BET or essence magazine. I knew that this was a story from people, black people to black people. And I, that I, that's what, you know, honestly, one of the most things I was proud of is just like, and also saddened by, and I knew it because I had been hired through 50 people in question to do all kinds of corporate social um, responsibility campaigns that touched on, you know, water conservation or hunger in the horn of Africa or, you know, all kinds, you know, all kinds of initiatives, anti-tobacco, et cetera. But I'd never been hired to do anything about racism. And I, I, it was kind of like pissing me off at that point. Part of why I even went down in the mm-hmm. first place. I was like, this is the story people aren't going to tell and but I want to go tell it anyway it sounds um, like it was a rewarding experience in a way that you got to shed some light on that situation yeah and it's crazy though fast forwarding to now of like here I am in Salt Lake City Utah and these stories aren't in our backyard here so it's like not only as a storyteller what do you do but like what do you do You know, I know it's not virtue signaling on social media for me or even not that that's wrong, but I do think that helps, but it's like, I'm not on social media. Yeah. What do I do? And I know that through the Dear World platform, you guys are doing a lot to tell these types of stories as well. Um, But I mean, I understand that for you as a visual storyteller, 
being on the ground is important. And it is hard to do right now with this pandemic we're in. Yeah. And it is a weird time to be protesting because of all the COVID stuff. It's kind of the progressive ideals about believing in science and all this stuff have like almost like sort of put you at at odds with physically showing up and being Mm -hmm. around strangers. So it's kind of interesting from that perspective. And it shows the desperation in America, you know, right now. And I'm going to try to find a little bit of light in the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So when you were talking earlier about the protests in Louisiana back in the day and the uplifting energy you felt while you were there, um, I, I did feel something similar while watching the protests in downtown Salt Lake City. There were some ups and downs, and you're right that, you know, in that we don't have as much diversity here as in many other places. Um, but you could see every race and gender and culture and lifestyle represented in that crowd. And it truly felt like history in the making, you know, like something was changing for the better. And it's just too bad that this is what it takes for that change to happen. Yeah, and I should clarify that the next day there was a more organized rally in Baton Rouge that was much more um, mixed. And mm-hmm. it, so I think the word, it just takes time for word to get out. And and people do care here in Salt Lake. You know, I didn't want me to say they are isolated from a lot of what you might feel in the South, but, or even in New York or, you know, where these larger populations exist. But I think people do care and they do. And that's the beauty of the internet. That's the beauty of, you know, um, living in this connected age is that we don't have to grow up in the environment to understand the pain. And I think that that's a good thing. We shouldn't be ashamed if we're not proxy to it. It doesn't mean we can't participate and we can't help. And there is, there is hope and there is a silver lining to all this, you know, in that ultimately what's going to come out of this and hopefully soon is that there will be real progress made in policy and in the way that we treat each other, I think, writ large, not just, you know, African-Americans, but starting with that for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for being willing to discuss this topic with us, Ben. I know it wasn't the most joyful question, but it's important to have these types of conversations right now. And you're right. There is silver lining in that we already see some policy changes that have come out of all of this. And hopefully that will continue to happen. Now let me shift our focus a bit here. My next question is, has your definition of joy changed at all during the pandemic? Yeah, and I I guess for myself, without looking up sort of a little bit more about what joy should mean, for me, joy is that, a process that you work. It's this thing of the going back to the mountain bike thing, the highs and the lows. If you enjoy the process, then you will be joyful. No matter if you're grinding, you know, up the hill, spilling out, getting hurt, you know, or having the best jump you've ever done, you know, whatever that is. And that's the analogy of life. So joyful, joyfulness to me is been redefined and evolving because for me, before the pandemic, Bob passed away in June. So it's crazy. It's been a year now, but it seems like yesterday. And and sorry, just, just, uh, just to clarify. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. Bob was, Bob was, uh, is my father-in-law that passed away and, you know. It, and you guys yeah, were like, pretty, you guys were pretty Yeah, we're close. very close. Yeah. He's like a father to me and, and best friend for sure. And what he, I mean, he taught me when, before he passed away, but 
throughout him passing and, and beyond, I think what he's been teaching me is that yes, family is a core, the core of, is a core of joy or a core value of joy for me. Health for myself and my family is a core value of joy for me. It's part of that process of building joy. But really at the heart of it all is the quietness of self, the consciousness. You know, in this book, The Untethered Soul, you know, the watcher watching the watcher, you know, the witness to it all. And if the witness to this busy mind can stay in a space of, huh, what a crazy, beautiful, lucky life, you know, or whatever version of that you can happen to be, find yourself in, or what a tough moment, but hey, it's still the ride, you know, I'm still on the bike, you know, I think digging deeper into that and, tr and it's a practice, right? Like you can't just know that concept and then be really good at it. You have to practice it. And I'm, that's where I need to get better at. But basically, at least I know now, I feel like I have like a, a uncovered a little secret of this is what I need to work on. And this is what the next level is. And removing those thorns is an important way to start being able to create space to do that. And so in, a, in summary, joy is removing the thorns. Joy is approaching life with an open heart when you can, as much as you can. And if you find that you can't, do the hard work to, you know, uh, get yourself in a better place. Um, but have patience and love in yourself in the meantime, as much as you can. And I think I didn't have that nuance, but I didn't have such belief in that, y'all. Like I could read it in a book, see it in a movie. But it, until you really know, no, you, you don't know. <laughs> oh, wow, that was amazing. That just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> that was really beautiful. Thank you for that. Oh, no. I know y'all, this, this is the thing. This is what y'all believe, you know, too. Like, Julia, you and I talk about this. And I think you're a friend that these are values and things, truths you seek. I, I really love what y'all are doing with this podcast and that I think it's what y'all are trying to tap into. And so... Um, thank, thank you all for, for doing this. Well, Ben, thank you for your kind words. That means a lot to us. Thank you, Ben. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us today? I think that just building off what I just said, like, I love that. I think bringing one of the ways, the hacks, like there's deep levels of understanding and truths and practices. But one of the hacks to joy is a basic version of joy is like, let me eat the sugar. Let me sleep in 20 minutes. Let me, you know, hit the snooze button. But those are very, or let me do this drug. Like those are very shallow versions of joy because it is the contrast. It is the, the struggle that brings, it's the work that brings the joy. And it's also, I think the social, like the social aspect of the community. And so, and I'm thinking my daughter's like right next to me, like she did her YouTube video yesterday and I like versus doing Minecraft which is versus watching movies. There's like levels of creation. So the, the hack is if you can create, if you can, can work to the high point versus just getting it really quickly, I think you'll find more sustainable joy and you can repeat that more importantly without consequences more often. And I see y'all doing that with your, your personal creative lives. So I'm just proud of y'all and y'all inspire me. So that's all I have to add. That was really nice of you to say. Thank you. Oh, Y'all are doing awesome stuff. This is a cool, cool thing. <laughs> I got to think about what my creative project is. <laughs> thanks for letting me participate in y'all's. Yeah. Thanks, Ben, for taking the time to speak with us.
for your words of wisdom. This, this has been really, really fun and some really cool things that you had to share. So we really appreciate that. Oh. Yeah, thank you for coming on and to speak to us. Speak with us today. Enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of your weekend. All right, love y'all. Thanks love for having you me too. on. Bye. Bye. Bye, Rachel. And that's our episode for today. If you enjoyed the show, please follow us, subscribe anywhere you got your podcast, and tell a friend about us. Please also stop by anchor.fm slash whatbringsyoujoy and leave us a voicemail. Tell us about your joyful moment. We would love to hear it and share it on the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Stay healthy, stay positive, and follow your joy. I, I remember our fateful, uh, what was it called? The Not Mushroom Night. I forget what it was called. <laughs> The universe party. The universe party. That's what it was. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got so tired that night. So, yeah. You had like one too many pieces of bread, I think. That's what it was. So, Ben, you and your business partner organized large corporate events, which is one of the industries. Okay. Hold on. Take two. Documentary mini. Mm, Document. <laughs> I'm going to take a step back on this one. I have learned to use audio editing software as part of this process. <laughs> hey, my Mac is six years old and I've dropped it three times and it's not broken. Oh my, what else? Yeah, what six else? years old. Guess whose laptop broke already? I'm going to put my uh, gauze back on top of the mic. Oh my gosh, this is the weirdest setup. Did you watch the space launch? Yeah, I did, I did. What did y'all like about it? And the, the boots got a lot of attention. I, I don't know, they're a little boxy. But other than that, they were sick. Um, how do they go to the toilet? I'm sure suction is involved. Thank you. I hope that was joyful enough, but not overly joyful. Yeah, I thrive in sorrow, so. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Are we leaving for real? <laughs>